When is the last time you thought you could actually trust the media? At every turn, lies, lies, lies. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you trust the media? That's what we thought. This is Unraveling the Narrative with Alex Newman and Sean Jackson. You want the truth? We have it completely unbiased 100 percent diehard free speech christian investigative and honest reporters focusing on the u.n globalism child abuse government overreach and lies 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 get ready for something new honest and refreshing this is unraveling the narrative and this is alex newman and sean jackson So tonight we have a very special guest as we launch the media site of LibertySentinel.org. You can find all the links in the description. If we get banned or go down tonight, please find us at LibertySentinel.org. We appreciate the people that have found the Patreon because we are trying to launch this with no sponsors. Patreon.com slash UTN for unraveling the narrative. I have a very special guest tonight who is very near and dear to my heart. We spoke last year. He was going to be my one and only interview before I faded off into the sunset before I met Alex Newman. Dr. E. Michael Jones is on tonight to talk Logos Rising. So please share it out. Thumbs up because he didn't have to come back on and talk about any of these things with us. However, we want to do a free speech network, a conglomerate of people with great ideas and Christian morals and investigative reporting. And we want to get to the bottom of what's actually going on in America. So I'm very happy to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on. So I'm going to try to call him over now. But the little backstory of this situation is I was sitting in the back of a corporate office doing one of the largest deals in U.S. history as far as technology. They were talking brain chips, chips in your clothing, getting microcell adapters for 5G inside your house, and I have a child. So that didn't sound very good or appealing to me. What it sounded like is they were putting the technocratic noose around all of our necks. So I want to talk to Dr. E. Michael Jones a little bit about the Christian worldview, philosophy, And anything you guys want to talk about, we will talk about tonight. But I'm happy to have him back on Unraveling the Narrative. Help us launch it out. Please share the stream out. We do not plan on doing this long term, but we are going to do it right now. So let me see if I have Dr. Jones on, which I do believe I do. Let me turn it up. Do I have you, Dr. Jones? Yes, I'm here. Awesome. I really appreciate you coming back on. It means a lot. Oh, you're welcome. I was just explaining to everybody, I did not plan on doing this long term and I was dealing with a large corporation and a merger with the two companies. They were heavily funding child gender confusion at that time. 
And I planned on you being the one and only interview that I was doing. And that parlayed into other interviews, which then led to my position at LibertySentinel.org. So I basically owe a lot of my career to you just giving me the kindness and walking me through that process of getting fired and then finding something else in the long run. So I really appreciate that. Good. Um, Good. God has a plan for your life. Yeah, I do. You you said that to me. I told you right when it happened and you had said something to me that God will turn their wickedness into good. And I followed that motivation down for about the last six or seven months through relationship building. So if it wasn't for you doing that or stepping in, I probably wouldn't have anything. So I genuinely appreciate that. My family does as well. Good. Um, I want to talk about Logos Rising because the book came in today. I didn't get a chance to read all of it. I got an overall chance. Now there's more crazy stuff going on. I want to have a good time tonight and I want you to get out whatever you want to get out. Don't feel like you have to censor yourself at all. I built this platform so people could speak freely, especially your situation. But Logos Rising, when people read this book, I've read a good chunk of it today when I just got it. But what is a general impression you want people to gain from reading this book? That uh, there is a, a better uh, way of looking at the world than the world is looking right now. That there's a, that we have a, a power, uh, that we can access a power that will uh, liberate us. Uh, to, to get to the most specific instance right now, we have uh, people uh, shutting us down in the name of science. Yeah. It's basically if, if some guy uh, uh, mentions the word science, uh, we just have to shut up and do what that guy says. And I try in this book, one of the things I tried to do was contextualize the whole idea of science, where it came from. How did it come? How did it come into being? How did how did it uh, how did we reach the point where we are today, where it's basically the word that ends every argument? And all you can do is submit and do what the oligarchs tell you. As soon as they use the word science, I'm saying that there is a higher power, uh, a higher uh, understanding of what's going on that's, that we have to bring to bear here because we're in a situation where, first of all, we have suspect the ulterior motives of right. the people that we're dealing with. And se secondly, uh, what do you do when you have two scientists who say two different things? Right. How do you adjudicate that? Right. Do you have a science of a science of adjudicating scientists, or uh, my favorite now is a fact checker? Yeah, a fact checker. Whenever you see the word fact checker, you can be sure someone's lying to you. Yeah, because fact checkers are paid by big corporations basically to undermine any type of independent thought and bludgeon everyone into submission to the conventional narrative. So Logos gives us the power to see through that. And uh, the idea came to me. I mean, first of all, I wrote a book called The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Right. And the whole point of that was uh, rejection of Logos. That's the identity uh, that the Jews took on to themselves when they killed Christ. And they uh, reacted against the order of the universe, which Logos is, and they became revolutionaries. And that's another aspect of what's happening today. Yeah. We have the Jewish revolutionary spirit running rampant throughout our society, going by the name of Antifa yes. or Black Lives Matter, where yeah. they're the proxy warriors of George Soros. 
uh, and uh, we can situate these things. We have a, we have a, a bigger picture now, uh, a, a bigger set of coordinates where we can situate people now on either the axis of logos or the axis of anti-logos. And that is the ultimate framework of all of human history. Well, I, I really St. Augustine referred to them as the city of God and the city of man, but it's the same thing. I really appreciate because I, I, I got to skim over the book. It's 700 pages. I didn't get to read all of it. It's very well footnoted. But all the way from the Bible to philosophers, all the way up to science, to Hegel. And I'm glad you unwound that whole Hegel narrative and the Hegelian dialectic and all that stuff. I'm glad you brought that to the forefront in the book to show that there is cohesion between belief and logos Jesus Christ, um, and that we've been adjudicating these things for a long time, and they go hand in hand with science. They're not antithetical with science. It, it just somewhere along the way, scientists or technocrats have grabbed that narrative and they've tried to move us away from religion or knowing what our ultimate being is, but it, they go hand in hand with each other. Most of our scientific developments have a basis in Christianity or at least Catholicism just one way or the other, a belief in God. That, that's what it comes down to. And they're trying to separate us from that history. Yeah, well, uh, you, if you're going to be a scientist, you have to believe that the world has a rational basis because that's the only way you're going to do your science. You have to, there has to be some type of order out there. And we are now in a situation where uh, we have the, the building without a foundation. Right. What, what's the foundation? Uh, it's the only foundation that we have right now in this respect is Darwinism. Yeah. And that's why I began the book by talking about uh, Darwin and specifically the four, the four atheists who are all kind of passe right now. Nobody talks about them anymore. But in 2010, 10 years ago, they were a hot item. They were being promoted through all of the media. And they were basically saying that, uh, if you're an intelligent person, uh, you don't believe in God. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. If you don't believe in God, then how is there any order to the universe? Well, it just evolves. In other words, it came from nothing. Right. Something came from nothing. Yeah. If you want the most basic fundamental statement of that. Well, if you go back and study the development of Logos, you, you come to Parmenides. There's a chapter on Parmenides or a chapter on the pre-Socratics. And he said that uh, that which is cannot come from that which is not. Right. And that's true. That, that's what makes me angry is because, I mean, I spent my early career in biology and psychological science. And it, I grew up Catholic, right? My, my confirmed name is St. Jude, uh, the patron saint of what lost causes. And it was always to figure out more about God's creation. It was always to enhance upon that. And it seems like now we're dealing with a new religion of scientism that wants to purify everything, separate us from our faith, separate us from our history. And they are now the oligarchs. They are now the priest class. They are now the people that you must take their word on. And if you don't take their word on, then you must be some kind of science denier when used to be you have to follow the scientific method and your uh, hypothesis used to hold weight if it was tested numerous times. Nowadays, you don't have to go through that process anymore. No, it's it's authority without any justification. Yeah, that's that's what it is. And the, the, the fact that they've lost uh, they've lost contact with their the rea the only reality that can give them some type some type of substance to what they're saying. And uh, that's why I had to deal with this. 
I had to show the irrationality of Darwinism. It, that which is cannot come from that which is not. And what you have is people like Dawkins engaging in a circular argument. Right. He, he's trying to talk about the evolution of the wing, you know, and he says, well, it, it can't happen uh, if you make one leap, one big leap. But if you take little steps up the other side of Mount Improbable, then it's easy. It's right. easy. Well, what he failed to realize is every one of those little steps is the step from non-being to being, which is exact. It doesn't matter how big it is. It's an impossible move. You can't get there. Right. Can't get there from there. Right. And this is so he tries to he, he, he then tries to disguise the the, uh, the irrationality of his argument even further by saying, uh, well, what about 49 percent of a wing? Right. Suppose a bird had that and fell out of the tree. Wouldn't that be better than no wing at all? <laughs> well, wait a minute. You just begged the question here because you just <laughs> said it was a wing. A wing is what enables flight. You can't have 49% of flight. You can either, you either fly or you don't fly. Correct. If the wing enables flight, then it's a wing and you've already got what you're trying to, talk, to, to prove. If it doesn't fly, then it's not a wing. There's right. no middle place here. You can't have 49% of something. It's either one or the other. Right. And and Chris, Christopher Hitchens does the same thing. Oh, God. What uh, except charlatan. With, with the eye. He's, he was he says, one of the well, biggest charlatans. He was somebody who was very good at making speeches, but he didn't have a lot of evidence or proof for the things he said. I used to watch him religiously just to find if there was any truth in any kind of his arguments whatsoever. He was basically a very good debater. He was very uh, charismatic. He was very good at winning the audience on his side. But when you broke his arguments down, they didn't hold a lot of water. No. So he said something very similar to what Dawkins said. He said, well... Uh, 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 sophisticated pro computer programs have proven that uh, evolution took place. Well, there that's a non-argument, if I ever heard one. This is the argument ad computerum, which doesn't go anywhere. And then he tries to, then he digs the hole even deeper when he says, uh, primitive organisms had light-sensitive cells, and these light-sensitive cells developed into eyes. Well, the light-sensitive cell... Uh, either what either it sees or it doesn't see yeah okay if it if it sees if it if it sees then it's an eye and you've already got the eye and you don't need any evolution yeah and if it can't see well then it's not going to become an eye right. because an eye is something that sees yeah and either this either it sees or it does not see there's no intermediary stage here right. this is what these guys none of these guys understand this you can't have an intermediary stage between being and non-being. Doesn't exist. Yeah, can't exist. No. So what I'm gonna do, I want to do real quick is I, I do want to back up because I I love the science piece of it. I hope people go get the book on their own. Logos Rising: A History of the Ultimate Reality. I have multiple copies of it. I'm glad I got one of them today. I got the autograph version of it today. But I mean, I've read that one. We have the Slaughter of Cities, which I think. It, completely describes how to break down a city over time and you name names and it's greatly cited and barren metal uh, a history of capitalism if i'm not getting that title incorrect but that was one of the first books i read by you i actually haven't read um uh, the jewish revolutionary spirit i think that will be my next book to read because of the times that we're in right now and i do want to talk about that but first i want to talk about you getting shut down and getting silenced 
on Amazon. Now, Amazon puts out a Nazi hunter movie, and I was watching this very closely right around the rise of people listening to you, and you did a rebuttal to that. So Amazon comes back and they ban you. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. And then yeah, they banned me. So actually, it began a little bit earlier. Uh, I got a warning uh, because I wrote a, a, a sh an ebook, which appeared first as an article in Culture Wars, and the title was Jewish Privilege. Now, this this concept has taken off. Right. Okay. It, first of all, when it was uh, an, an ebook on Kindle, uh, they described it as a bestseller. So it was really selling well. At this point, the ADL got involved, uh, and they they exert pressure on these groups, and uh, the groups cave in. So uh, they removed uh, Jewish privilege. Now, I'm when I when I told people I got banned, I have a friend who said, you know, the Jesus Christ doesn't need uh, Amazon to spread his message, and she was right. She was right. Uh, yeah. If the Jews could shut down discourse effectively, then we wouldn't be here as Catholics right now because they certainly would have done it uh, by the, suppressing people like St. Paul. But yeah. they expelled him from the synagogue, and then that meant he went to the Greeks and it spread throughout throughout the world. So this is similar to what happened with Jewish privilege. That concept is out there now, and it's the third highest trending uh, meme on Twitter right now. Yeah. Third highest on Twitter, simply because the concept, just just the concept alone, without reading my book, uh, you can get the book, it, it will be available soon at culturewars.com, but without even reading my argument, people understood, yeah, this makes sense. Look at, look at uh, Alan Dershowitz. Oh, God, Alan Dershowitz talk. is yeah. like the classic, the classic example of Jewish privilege. If anyone else had done what he has done, if a Catholic priest had done what he has done, they would have thrown him in jail and uh, put him in jail and thrown away the key. Yeah. But now he continues to play Jewish privilege. So the latest thing is there was an interview with one of the uh, people, uh, he, he, one of the women that's accused him of molesting her. And now guess what he's saying about her? He's calling her an anti-Semite. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that definition, anti-Semite, because that's, I had a, a podcast. We're starting a new podcast with me and Alex Newman from the John Birch Society from the New American. And he had said on the last podcast, they're attempting to separate us from our Christian and our Catholic heritage. So the, the word anti-Semite gets thrown around a lot. Um, I really want to define it because nowadays anti-Semite means anyone who disagrees with any policy of Israel. That was usually, I guess that was Herzl's whole scheme was to call you an anti-Semite. I believe he called Pope Pius IV an anti-Semite because he didn't sign off on Israel, if I'm incorrect in saying that. But anti-Semite back in the day when it was formulated just kind of meant the Jewish will conquering the Germanic people. Am I incorrect in saying that? Am I missing something? Well, Vil... Wilhelm Marr invented the term in 1871. So before that, it didn't exist. Right. And he he, he brought it, he uh, mentioned it in his book, Der uh, Sieg des Judentums über das Germanentums, the victory of Jewishness over Germanness, if that's the way you yeah, can say it. Yeah, exactly. And he wanted a, he wanted a non-religious term to deal with Jews because he hated religion. He was a revolutionary yes. of 1848. 
He was appalled at the way the Jews had betrayed the revolution in Hamburg during that time. And he wanted another word. And this, at this time, biology was a big issue. This was the, the era of Darwin. Yes. And everybody was trying to come up with some type of biological explanation. And so he said that Jews are biologically determined to be bad people. Well, if that's what it is, I don't hold that position at all. Right. I'm saying the Jews have free will just like everyone else, I you know. know, and they have to exercise that free will. And the term would have been absolutely meaningless at the time of the gospel because everybody in that drama had the same DNA. Right. They were all of the same ethnic group. They all had the same biological makeup. So it made no sense whatsoever. The, the issue in the gospel was logos, acceptance of logos, which is what the, the Jews who became Christians did, or rejection of logos, which is what the Jews who uh, remained Jews did. Well, That's Her the issue. Herzl basically uh, took the took the word anti-Semitism and basically labeled anyone who wasn't for the state of Israel, uh, uh, labeled them an anti-Semite. But he was not a religious Jewish person. I mean, is that an accurate depiction of Herzl? Well, uh, Mo Moses Hess wrote a book called Rome and Jerusalem. And Herzl simply took his idea that basically from now on, the Jewish people are going to be their own Messiah. Yeah. They don't need a Messiah anymore. Moses Hess was a contemporary of Karl Marx. This is the type of idea that was floating around at that time. And when you have this, this period in, in Russia, you've got a mixture of nationalism, Jewish nationalism, that's best represented by Herzl, and you have Jewish Bolshevism, communism, which is best represented by Trotsky. Right. Uh, they're both there. They're both in play at the same time. They're both in play at the same time. And the the uh, the, the the Jews who eventually went to uh, took over, invaded uh, Palestine, and eventually took it over, uh, were socialists. They were communists. Yeah. Uh, and they, they they were materialists. They they did not believe in the in Moses or the God of the Old Testament. No. And so you have a figure, a, 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 an intermediary figure like Vladimir Yabotinsky, who was both a, a violent, uh, chauvinist Jewish uh, nationalist and, and a revolutionary, communist revolutionary at the same time. So they're both, they're both mixed up uh, at, as part of that the zeitgeist, the, the spirit of the times. The best example of this, of this mixture would be revolutionary groups in Russia like Narodnaya Volia, the people's will. Right. They were both because because in, in Russia at that time, the Jews were an ethnic group and they considered themselves an oppressed ethnic minority and they believed in socialism and they believed, well, well first of all, we'll overthrow the government and then we'll impl implement uh, ethnic uh, identity or ethnic nationalism or first we'll implement the state of Israel and then we'll implement socialism. So it worked both ways at it, that time. Isn't that the debate, though? I think that's where people get angry. I think that's where voices like you need to be heard. I think where they need to not be silenced. That's what we're attempting to do is bring people together. But I think where people are getting frustrated and where they're getting angry is you have Judaism is it a race or is it a religion? And for asking that question, a lot of people have been banned. And I had Rabbi David Wieson, who is an anti-Zionist, and he could not answer that question, whether it be ethnic or whether it be racial or whether it be a belief system. And I think being able to not separate those two, like 
I am Native American, I am Lebanese, I am a Catholic, or I consider myself a Christian. I grew up a Catholic for 20 years, but that's an ideology. Now, Judaism, when you can't separate racial from the ideology, I think that's where people, like it, it's whatever fits the narrative of the day, and I think that's what's getting people upset. I think if they would just yeah. clearly define it, then things would be okay. Yeah, they can't define it though. Because it's 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 intrinsically mixed up. So the the best example is, is the story of Oswald Rufeisen, who was a Polish Jew uh, during World War II, uh, was working for the SS, but was actually a double agent, uh, informing the Jews when the next pogrom was going to take place. Eventually, the the SS found out about this, and he had to go into hiding. He went in hiding in a Carmelite monastery, actually right next door to SS headquarters. And during the, that period of time, he converted to Catholicism. Right. And then he stayed there later, and then he became a priest. Right. And so here he is. He's, his mother's Jewish. He's Catholic. He's a priest. And then the state of Israel says that there is now this thing called the right of return or Aliyah. And he thinks, well, all right, I'll go to Israel. And he goes to Israel and he applies for citizenship and they turn him down. Wow. And he says, well, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what's the criterion here? Is it DNA? Okay. My mother was Jewish. Right. I have Jewish DNA. Is, that's the qualification. Well, then, no, it's, it is uh, Jewish DNA un unless you get baptized. Right. Well, what does the water of baptism do to you? Does that change your genetic makeup? No. Does anyone believe that? No, no. What this proves is the Jewish identity is negative. Okay. Jewish identity is rejection of logos. Right. That's the only consistent way to talk about Jewish identity. Right. Because if it were really genetic, if they were really honest about uh, the genetic story, then they would have given Oswald Rufeisen citizenship because right. he had that DNA. Right. His mother was Jewish. Yeah. No, that make that makes a lot of sense. I want to I guess we'll I want to move on past that a, a little bit because we are in a, a corporate it seems a corporate revolution right now. It seemed like there was a real grassroots liberty movement of people seeing the chains that were actually being put. We talked about that about a year ago. Last time we were talking about a, eugenics, we were talking about how the program has never stopped and how they're talking you out of your rights with words now. They don't need guns anymore. That's something we discussed about a year, year and a half ago. But now it's like so blatantly in your face, the control of you must wear a mask, the propaganda 24 seven, you must stay in your home. We must collapse, collapse the middle class. We're going to burn down every statue. We're going to burn down the church. We're going to have Moloch at the Coliseum. We're going to have Marina Abramovic who builds golems for a living, we're going to make her uh, a head at Microsoft and we're going to do an art gallery surrounding her awful demonic work. We're going to promote spirit cooking. I mean, in the last year alone, it's hard for you to not believe in spirituality when they're putting all of these things clearly, so clearly in your face. How could anyone doubt? I guess, I mean, this is kind of a straw man question, but how could anyone doubt the duality of, of uh, evil and light when you have these things so blatantly in your face? Well, we're in the middle of a revolution. Yeah. We're, we're in the middle of a, a color revolution of the kind that got perfected 
in the former republics of the Soviet Union yeah. uh, over the course of the 90s. And one of the main sponsors of those revolutions was George Soros. Yeah. And George Soros is one of the main sponsors of, the, of what's going on right now. Soros, back five years ago, George Soros gave Black Lives Matter $33 million to engage in rioting in Ferguson. Yes. George Soros is part of this Jewish tradition of wanting to start a race war in the United States. Goes all the way back to Leo Frank, to the lynching of Leo Frank uh, in Georgia. Uh, that's when the ADL was founded, yeah. after the lynching of Leo Frank. And uh, the NAACP was founded at the same time. What are these, uh, especially the second group, the, the NAACP is a Jewish organization that existed to create race riots, race war in the United States of America. Okay, it was founded by the Spingarn brothers in the 1920s. Marcus Garvey, who was a black nationalist from Jamaica, he had a huge following in Harlem, yep. in, in New York. Yep. He showed up at NAACP headquarters and he looked around and said, where, where are the black people? It's all Jewish lawyers. Yeah. Where are the black people? Well, that's what it was, and that's what it is to this day. Yeah. It's basically Jews funding proxy warriors to create a revolution in the United States of America. That's yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And we have basically what you're doing here is replacing uh, replacing one set of values with another. Right. That's what a revolution does. Yeah. And so the best symbolic example of that would be in South Bend, Indiana, was the the fact that we used to have uh, Ten Commandments, a statue of the Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse until the ACLU uh, decided it violated the separation of church and state, and then it got removed. Well, these public spaces do not remain empty. Nature abhors a vacuum, and so now we have a statue downtown of Martin Luther King and Father Hesburgh. Yeah. Singing, we shall overcome. So what happened here is that the Ten Commandments, the moral law, as understood by uh, both Christianity, uh, Judaism, the entire West, everything, was replaced by an ideology based on the civil rights movement, which turns out to be the exact opposite of the, what the civil rights people were saying, what Martin Luther King was saying, because yeah. now what counts is the color of your skin and not the content of your character. So we now have a, a George Soros-appointed district attorney, circuit attorney in St. Louis by the name of Kim Gardner, yes. who announced she's not going to prosecute uh, marijuana crimes anymore. She's not going to prosecute any of her own people. She's going to prosecute according to the color of your skin. Yeah. And, the, and the two people who are going to be prosecuted now are the McCluskeys, who used uh, guns after the police refused to come and aid them correct to defend their property yeah that's what we have in store yeah no and that and that's true though but like they're they're tearing down the entire i mean this is uh revolution 101 you tear down the statues you tear down the history and today is day one now what would i guess be the antidote to stopping some of this it seems like a lot of money's behind it it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like we've been sectioned off by country. So if you look at America, that's kind of like the military muscle. If you look at like um, England and France, that's kind of like the banking institutions. If you look at China, that's kind of like where we beta test human control with our technocracy. If you look at uh, Israel, that's kind of like you can't touch that place. That's kind of like the 
faith center of the new world order at this given time. It kind of seems like everything is coming together in a plan. Is there almost any way out of this situation that we're in right now? Are we going to have to write it out? No, the answer is logos. Very simple, which means you have to understand what's going on first. You have to have a clear understanding of what's going on. And so the best place, I think, to understand uh, where this is going is St. Louis right now. There was a, uh, again, uh, uh, a statue crisis, a statue struggle in St. Louis. This time it's the statue of King Louis IX, okay, who was a saint in the Catholic Church. Now, the man who launched this attack was a Muslim, calls himself a Muslim. He's a convert to Islam by the name of Umar Lee. He was a, a, had a long criminal record as a juvenile, was a crack dealer. And then he got religion. He got the religion of Islam. And then he said that he, he, he felt offended by the statue. Okay, well, wh- why? Why did you get that idea? Well, he got it from a group of Jews. He said himself that there was Jewish students at St. Louis University who didn't like the statue. Well, why are we taking down this statue? Right. Did, did, did uh, Louis IX, did he have black slaves in Paris in the 13th century? Did he run a cotton plantation in Paris in the 13th century? No, it's got nothing to do with the racial narrative. It's because he burned the Talmud. Right. Now, do black people care whether uh, some dude burned a book uh, eight centuries ago? No, no. probably not. No. So what does that tell you? Who's behind this then? Well, it's the only people concerned about burning the Talmud are the Jews. Right. And it turns out that they are using Umar Lee as their proxy warrior yeah. now to go after people they don't like. So, they, so, so what does he do? He engages in identity theft. Right. Okay, he, he says that these people who are defending the statue are white supremacists. Yeah. They're not white supremacists. They're Catholics. Yeah. They're Catholics. So they write back once their tweet and say, no, we're Catholics praying the rosary. No, they're white supremacists. And he keeps insisting on this until finally some black guy shows up all riled up because he thinks that these guys just marched there from Charlottesville and he beats up some 60 year old man uh, for praying the rosary. Wow. This is the type of dishonesty that is going on here. And we have to be able to identify it. This is identity theft. What is what does the statue mean? The statue is a symbol of history. Yes. If you remove the statue, you are removing the people's access to their own history. The people of St. Louis are now being deprived of their history. If you deprive them of their history, you're depriving them of their identity. And that's what this is about. He's an identity thief. Right. This is identity theft. This is the way you get control over people. Exactly. You get the people to accept the fact that, yes, you can steal my identity. Yes, I'll accept your identity uh, and I'll impose it on myself in the same way I'm going to impose this mask on my face because you're telling me I'm going to die if I don't. Right. And that, that's the best way to control people is fear and uh, erasing their history and making today today zero. And it's appalling to me how many people don't understand that's exactly what's happening right now. Um, I mean, do you believe that? I mean, I know that Logos is the answer. Us communicating, us forming networks, us forming secure lines of communication, helping each other out, boosting each other. I know that's the answer to a lot of this, but there's big money behind this. And you brought this up earlier. 
that Antifa yeah. and BLM, which came out of nowhere, George Floyd gets died the very next day. It's, it's literally the world is on fire all of a sudden. And all of the Christian statues have to come down. All of the histor- historical statues have to come down. Now, George Floyd is sainted, basically, and the mainstream media and everywhere else. I mean, is, is this a, a complete inversion of reality? Are we living in upside down times at this point in time? That's what a revolution is. Yeah. What was up is now down and what is down is now up. Yeah. Uh, the, this, a revolution is the world turned upside down. So basically they are depriving you of the, the basis for our society. The basis for our society was the Ten Commandments. It was the moral law. Right. John Adams said we have no constitution that functions in the absence of a moral people. As in South Bend, the, the Ten Commandments are banned and a new racial ideology is imposed in its place. And so now it doesn't matter whether you lie or whether you steal or whether you break any other commandment. As long as you have the right color. Well, wait a minute. That's, it's not even that because there are plenty of black people who are objecting to this whole thing. As long as you adopt the right racial ideology, this is what the whole point of this is. They're using a racial ideology as a substitute for both religion, morality, and the social order. Right. No, it's completely true. But the, I guess my question is, I mean, it all happened in seven months. I mean, it's almost like a fourth turning. Is, is there an, a way of breaking through? Because it seems like 70% of people are just going along with this blindly. It's not something that's going to change anytime soon. We've seen this in the Cultural Revolution in China, and it usually ends up French Revolution. We usually see this thing end up in mass murder and genocide. Does that seem like plausibility at this point in time, or should is that a long? It can go. It's already getting, it's already getting violent. But I mean, don't underestimate Logos because yeah. I think that's what turned the tide in St. Louis. So the the story is, um, on um, Saturday, uh, July 11th, Umar Lee tweets that. Uh, White supremacists are going to come and beat up a coalition of Jewish, uh, Christian, and Muslim women. Uh, so we need all of our supporters to show up and defend these women. Well, that was a flat-out lie. He right. knew it was a lie. Yeah, of course it is. Uh, and, and, and at that point, I released the article. And the article exposed him for what he was doing, exposed his identity theft. And so on the 12th, the showdown happened. And... None of his people showed up and thousands and thousands of Catholics showed up. And then shortly after that, uh, he challenged me to a debate. Yes. Let's talk about that, please. He did. He did. He did not know. He did not know who I was on the morning of Saturday, November, uh, July 11th. He had no idea who I was. The only reason he knows who I am is because I wrote the article and then once he does that, then he can check with his with his handlers at the ADL and they can give him all the uh, information, their lies about me. And that's why he challenged me to a debate. So I think it was basically the explanation there contributed to the the uh, the destruction of his movement. Now, whether it's completely now the the, the rosary people are declaring victory, uh, they don't want me to debate him. Uh, because they think they've won. I think that they're they're being premature. Yeah. I think we have to explain exactly what's going on, and we have to make an appeal. Okay. And the appeal will be to the Jewish people of St. Louis. 
I'm I'm going to ma- I'm making the appeal now. I'm going to make it uh, when we have the debate, and I'm going to say, uh, you need to say in public what you say in private, because these Jews are calling up my friend, and they're saying this Rabbi Susan, no Jew takes her seriously in St. Louis. She's an apostate and a sorceress. They're direct. That's a direct sure. quote from a Jew in St. Louis. And so my friend turns around and says, well, let's let's issue a public statement. Well, no, no, they are, no, they're backing off now. This is what it's got to come down to. Do I'm asking the Jews of St. Louis, do you support the revolution? Or are you willing to join with other citizens of St. Louis and say, no, we are citizens of St. Louis and we reject this revolutionary activity and we want to be loyal to the place that has treated us so well over all these years. Right. That's what it's going to come down to. That's why I think this debate is important. But so, so let's say they get their way. Now, I know the debate's very important. The optics are important. Getting it out is very important and having people repeat it. And I'm more than happy to have people repeat this interview if that's okay with you. But what happens when that debate doesn't get out and they just keep silencing voices and they get this revolution through? What are they going to replace it with? That, I mean, that's my big question. When you burn everything down, you burn the middle class down, you get rid of the oligarchs, you cover up the crimes of all these people, these pedophiles, you try to make it about Ghislaine Maxwell and not the thousand of other people that are underneath her thumb and in that same ilk. What happens? What are you replacing this whole entire thing with uh, a form of communism where might makes right? Because we wrote books about communism in the 60s where they would use the black community as cannon fodder. They would use lower Jewish people as cannon fodder for their uh, aspirations of being the oligarch class. And it, it never turned out well. So what are they planning on replacing this with? Uh it's not I I'd have to ask them. Yeah, that's what uh, that's the point. Whatever, no it one is, knows. whatever it is, it's not going to be good. Well, look, we, we can't. That's the future. First of all, the, the these this battle hangs in the balance right now. And I'm saying St. Louis may be the turning point because I don't know any other city where the people have been able to defend their statues. And it looks as if St. Louis is going to hold in this regard, largely because we've exposed who's responsible. Now, I don't want to deny that there is spiritual assistance here that's the point of praying the rosary you're asking for spiritual assistance i don't want to deny that i think it's important i think that basically that's what caused the downfall of communism it wasn't a war that brought about the uh, the fall of communism it was people like john pope paul ii and the workers in gdansk praying the rosary and going to confession that's what did it and that power is still there available to us and i think it's being utilized in in st louis I think that that's what's happening. I don't think we should sell this short. It's not over, okay? But if you want to know what's going to happen, if they do succeed, the answer is simple. It's violence. Violence is going to increase. And if these people take power, then violence will become part of government policy because that's what happened in the Russian Revolution. Right. Okay, one month after the November Revolution, December 1917, the Communist Party created the Extraordinary Committee to Combat uh, Counterterrorism and uh, Counterrevolution and Terrorism. It got shortened to be known as the Cheka, and it ended up being called the KGB. But basically, it was Jewish terrorists 
who now had the power of government behind them, and they took it out by basically apprehending Christian, Russian Christians and murdering them. If you want, you can check out the movie. One of the first movies that got made, it was 1992 after the fall of communism, is called The Czechist. Check out the movie and see what you think. Right. Uh, ask yourself, would you want to be lined up against the wall and have that bullet, one bullet in the back of your uh, neck? Is that That's where it's going. It may not get there. It may take a while to get there, but that's the inexorable destination of revolution. We know that from history, and this is no different. We're talking about people who would kill you if they had the power. Do you? They, these are the people that have taken over the streets of Portland. Yeah. They're trying to burn down federal buildings in Portland. They took over the uh, the center of Seattle. They declared an independent country. And what was one of the first things that happened? Somebody got killed. That's what's going to happen. If you let this anarchy get out of hand, people are going to die. Do you see So any, it's time to stop it now. Any similarities with that in the French Revolution at the same time where you have this new party being created of people with actual grievances and oligarchs taking that over, forming the Jacobin Party, which then becomes very murderous then goes after all the Christians in the countryside and starts putting people on firing walls or putting heads on spikes. I kind of see a similarity there. Are you seeing the same similarity or am I completely off base with that? That's what revolutions do. Actually, I'm in, I'm going to be, I, I, I'm, I'm doing research now on the Vendee, uh, the, the counter revolution and Les Chouans, the, the people who rose up against uh, the French revolution. These people were incredibly successful at the beginning. You had a peasant army, they prayed the rosary, and they swept into one city after another and took it over. One of the biggest conquests was when they took over Samur on the Loire, uh, upstream from Nantes, okay? They took it, they basically took it almost pretty much without firing a shot, they occupied it, and then the next thing they did was they looted everyone's house, got drunk, and then when they woke up the next day with a hangover, they decided they had enough and they all walked home. And the Republicans walked in and took it without a shot again. Yeah. This is, I think this is something that the people, the rosary prayers in St. Louis should consider. They prayed the rosary. They were successful. They didn't follow up on what they were supposed to do. First of all, they didn't act in a particularly Christian manner, okay, because of their looting uh, and that type of thing. But uh, and I'm not accusing the people of St. Louis of that, but I'm, you do have to follow up here. What they should have done is keep those people armed, consolidate their their power in these places in the West and then march on Paris and take it over. Right. That's what's got to happen in St. Louis. It's not just enough to say to, you know, to declare victory. It's premature now to declare victory. These forces are too powerful. We have to expose them. Right. And we have to demand of our fellow citizens, our Jewish fellow citizens, are you a citizen or are you what Tacitus said? Basically, you're only interested in what's good for the Jews. Are you capable of being a citizen of St. Louis? Are you capable of saying in public what you say to my friend in private about Rabbi Susan Talva? Right. Because that's what's got to happen now. Yeah, people need to have courage. I mean, I've been seeing... 
the most random people come out with courage uh, against some of these horrific movements like Antifa and BLM. But I, I see all these patriots and these tough guys and so so beyond. Uh, I die for this country. Not saying a word as they watch the whole entire thing burn down and they think it's just some phase that'll pass after the election. I don't see it that way. I see it as something that could potentially bring down all the oligarchs in America and is going to be protected at all ends, meaning that they will push this revolution all the way to the end, no matter who the president is. Am I incorrect in making that assessment? Well, this revolution is against Donald Trump. And I think he understands that by now. And I think that's why he had to send federal troops into uh, Portland. Because if these people uh, are going to burn down, if Antifa is going to burn down a federal building and the mayor is going to side with Antifa and do nothing about this, well, obviously you have to, the federal troops, you have to send in federal troops. And that's what happened. You have to put down this rebellion. And I think what's happening in all of these cities with these Democratic mayors or lesbian mayors like uh, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago and uh, Jenny Durkin in Seattle, two of the worst cities, they want it to be bad. Yeah, they did. They want chaos because they think this will pressure, uh, this will force Donald Trump out of office. I, I, I think they're making a big mistake. I think that they are putting more voters uh, on the side of Donald Trump every time they do this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's very similar to what happened in 68 when you had the issue was law and order. If there were ever a time when law and order is an issue, it is now. Yeah. I live. I was alive in 68. I remember sitting in a bar and watching the the riots in Chicago. This is nothing. That, that was nothing compared to what's happening now. Nothing. That was nothing. Nothing. And there was a huge reaction. And basically that put Richard Nixon in office. Yeah. Uh, It drove the Democrats out of office, even with George Wallace running against him, taking away the votes from Nixon in the South. The two of those men got 57 percent of the vote, a total repudiation. And in 72, it was even worse. Yeah. George McGovern tried to run the same uh, uh, defend the same principles. And it was the biggest defeat in electoral history in the United States of America. Yeah. So I think that's that's the context. I think I, that's what I see on the horizon. I think this is going to backfire on these people. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if it's true or not. I'm hearing rumors that in the Ghislaine Maxwell cases, it goes all the way up to Trump. I don't know that for a fact. I hope it doesn't, but I hope it exposes everything. I, I don't care who is involved. I hope the league gets blown off everything. I also heard Jeff Bezos is uh, mentioned in that, and I believe we all know his sexual perversions as the pictures have leaked out over the years. And, you know, he's got slave camps here in America the same way they have him over in China, and yet nobody's called him on that. So obviously the oligarchs want him boosted up as the model of a, a businessman here, but he's not playing by the same rules as you or the rest of us. I want to ask this question. You have culturewars.com. You have Culture Wars. You have Fidelity Press. The The book is beautiful, by the way. I hope people get it. But when YouTube silences you, when Amazon silences you and, and limits your ability to speak, do you now have a case because you have no recourse for tortious interference and then meddling in your business? Because in the back of the book, you clearly put how Culture Wars and Fidelity Press was founded based on a check when you really needed it, and you just carry that forward. 
I mean, at this point when they're shutting you down and there's a concerted effort to do that, is that not tortious interference in your business? Yeah, I think it is. I think that's exactly what it is. And I think these people should held, be held responsible. Whether that's going to happen, uh, that's another question. Yeah. Whether I, I simply, if it comes down to a legal battle, I certainly can't go toe-to-toe with Jeff Bezos. Can't do that. We're going to have to have a, a, a new uh, a justice department that is willing to break up monopolies, okay? This had to happen in the past with Standard Oil. Bezos makes Standard Oil look like uh, compet- like like nothing by comparison. Yeah, he's got eighty seven percent of the book market. If he bans you from bans your book, you're basically uh, you're you're silenced. Well, now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen here. I mean, we're selling more books than ever now after we got banned from Amazon because Logos is rising. You can't suppress this. Bill, Jeff Bezos can't suppress it, okay? We have consciousness. We are now, we now know things that they don't want us to know. We have this consciousness that cannot be eradicated now, and people are talking to each other, and we don't, and ultimately, we, we, this, this is what they should, they should not have this power over us. The ADL should not be able to determine what gets said on the internet. No. Uh, but ultimately, that's not within their power to restrict it. These right. ideas are going to go out in spite of them. And the classic example I just mentioned was Jewish privilege. Right. That that idea is spreading like wildfire, even after they banned my book. I'm the guy who created that term. They banned my book, and now it's spreading anyway. Yeah, I mean, the basic principle, and you correct me if I'm wrong because I haven't read the book, but I've been following it for a long time. The basic principle is that when you want to call it a race, they say it's a religion. When you want to call it a religion, they say that it's a race. It's basically something that's undefinable, which it fit whatever fits the narrative, whatever gets them out of trouble is what they're willing to use, which means the privilege that they so have yet they put that on white, white privilege, or they try to break us up by race. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. I mean, white privilege is distracted to distract us from the fact that whites have no privilege whatsoever. If you're a white, you have no rights, much less privilege. Right. Uh, and it's to disguise the fact that there is a group that has privilege and it's Jewish privilege. That's what they have. Why aren't these people in jail? Right. Why isn't Alan Dershowitz in jail? Yeah. Well, because he's got Jewish privilege. I go, it's not just, it's, I go t- example after example here in this book of people who have Jewish privilege and how they, uh, you, you simply, as, so, oh, as soon as they use the word anti-Semite, then that's the end of the discussion. And yeah. this is clearly what Alan Dershowitz is trying to do after he got caught with his pants down or, or, or maybe, maybe or claiming he left his underpants on, but his other pants down. Right. You know, this is preposterous. No right. one else other than Alan Dershowitz with Jewish privilege could get away with this kind of stuff. Right. No, and I agree with that. And I, I mean, the last question I do want to ask you, and I hope you come back on when we launch this thing at LibertySentinel.org, the media side. I talked to Dave Riley today. Great guy. Um, what I do want to ask this question, someone asked it to me because they went to the Patreon.com slash UTM. We're trying to launch it independently so we don't have to ask for sponsorships. But... They wanted to know, listen, I'm not a Catholic. I'm just a Christian. I fully understand Zionism. I understand they're trying to separate us from our history. Can I participate in the Logos movement or is it solely a Catholic thing? Is it solely a Catholic politics?